0: And so much more, more than amazing, more than marvelous, more than miraculous could ever be. He's more than wonderful. That's what Jesus. Jesus is
1: to me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of 2 Samuel tonight. 2 Samuel. This is a monumental occasion. We've never met on a an e- uh, well, it's not really evening, it's afternoon at 5 o'clock. At least in the military, you had to be 6 o'clock. That's evening, right? And uh, we're glad you're here tonight. <clears throat> this morning in the, uh, turn over to chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5. This morning in our singles class, before we got started with our lesson, I decided to talk about a very relevant topic for singles, true love. Absolutely. And so I shared a couple of things. I said, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and always will be yours. If it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. If it just sits in your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your telephone, takes your money, and never behaves as if you actually set it free in the first place, you either married it or gave birth to it. I thought I would share that with them and try to encourage them in this element of true love. Now you have also been availed to the reality and truth of it. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll look there and read there in just a moment, but let me just set the tone of the setting real quick. After the death of Saul, Ishbosheth, his son, began to reign over Israel. Now, Hebron was. Partial to David. And so, as a result of that, they made him their king. For seven years, David reigned over Hebron while Ishbosheth reigned over Israel. A fellow by the name of Ricab and Bana, his brother, conspired to kill Ishbosheth. And they did. Thinking that this news would please David, they decided to go and tell him, thinking that they would be rewarded by King David and uh, yet David kills them. <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. Well, they didn't do him any favors, and we know how David was with Saul. Even when Saul sought his life, David said, listen, you don't stretch forth your hand against God's anointed. Yeah. Even if it was my life, he said, being threatened. We don't do that. And so these two guys decide, well, they're going to go ahead and take the life of the king, and he says, no, nope, no, nope, you, you messed up, boys let's take care of business, and he did. And so we begin our reading there. In 2 Samuel 5, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are bone of thy flesh, and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, Thou wast he that lettest out and broughtest in Israel. The Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel. Thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. David is approached and ultimately anointed king over all of Israel. And as we continue reading on in the passage, we come to a very interesting and I think insightful verse, something that I believe we can glean from and ultimately grow from, we come to verse 10. Take a look at verse 10 in 2 Samuel chapter 5. The Bible says there, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So from the From our text, we understand that David became king of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. His fame extended into the far reaches of the earth. By the time he died, he had established himself as the standard by which all other kings would be judged. What what attributed to this great status and honor? How did he arrive at that place? And tonight, I just want to take a few moments, and I want to consider David's recipe for greatness. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you, and we ask, Lord, that you'd just be with us, that you'd work in our lives. Father, we desperately need you. We pray, Father, that you would just walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts and our lives. God of heaven, we... uh, need you to speak to us and work in our hearts. We need you to be closer and more real to us than ever. I pray that Father you'd anoint my lips, that you'd enable me, Father, to be filled with your spirit and be just simply your mouthpiece. Pray that you'd stand in my shoes tonight and Lord just help me to be and to say exactly what you'd want. Father, be with every listening ear again, Lord, and anoint them and Lord, may we hear with spiritual ears. There's so much clutter and so much clamor in the world. So many messages that are being peddled and promoted. Father, tonight we have a message from heaven, and we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be truly in tune with you. That we would not be distracted by everything going on around us or in the world in which we live, but help us, Lord, to focus this next few minutes on you and your word. May we leave here, Father, better for having done so. We'll thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, as we look at David and his life, I think from this particular verse we can see what I've noted as a recipe of greatness. Right off the bat, number one, the Bible tells us in verse 10, and David went on. He went on. The implication is that he continued See, nothing came easy for David, really. You know, because of his immediate success with Goliath, we're often quick to kind of come to the conclusion that, man, everything was just simple. It was easy for him. But nothing could be further from the truth. Oh, sure, he held up the head of Goliath. Yes, he was ultimately placed in an army, and there he led even thousands, it seems, and inspired many. But let me tell you, his life wasn't simple, nor did it come easy. It was all uphill. David had to work for everything he got. Through the years of experience and hard work, he had become a great soldier, a great statistician and a statesman. Even though he was now the king over all Israel, the Bible says that he went on. And he could have chosen to bask in his glory now. He's the king, right? I mean, he's finally been elevated. He's finally arrived. He's finally reached the pinnacle of success he could have said, I'm just going to relax and enjoy my position. I'll go ahead and enlist some others to do all the details. I'll just go ahead and re- kick back and enjoy the, the, the position that I now have and the opportunities that I, have come to me because of my hard work and my effort. He could have said, I've worked so hard, I deserve a break. But he went on. He could have said, the past victory is my last battle, and I'm going to I'm just... Uh, Go to, to, you know, I don't want to put myself in harm's way again. I think I'll just remain behind it. But he went on. He went on. And you know what? You and I have to go on. We got to go on. We're talking about a recipe of greatness. Let me tell you, you won't arrive anywhere close to that if you don't go on, if you don't keep going. In 1 Corinthians 15 58, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We've been saved, joined the church, started to grow. But we can't put it in neutral now. We must go on. And we've taught Sunday school, or maybe ran a bus or sang in the choir or served in the work, but we can't stop now. we got to go on. We read our Bible and, uh, you know, we've read our Bible through. We maybe even prayed consistently. We've memorized Scripture, but we can't quit now. We must go on. We've given our tithes and our offerings. we supported faith promise, and we sacrificed for the building fund, but we can't stop giving now. We must go on. You know, we've earned the gospel. we prepared to share. We've even led a soul to Christ, but we can't rest while souls are perishing. We must go on. We found a maid and we said, I do. But it doesn't end there. We must go on. We landed a job and we went to work and we did our best, but we can't stop working now. We must go on. We care for the children. We've met their needs. we raised them up. But there's another generation that needs our insight, our input, and our investment. We must go on. The Bible says he went on. He went on. May God help us to do the same. First of all, if we're talking about David and the recipe of greatness, I think, first of all, David went on. But we notice in our text it says David went on and grew great. David grew great. You know that David wasn't born great? (laughs) He wasn't born great. He grew great. Do you know that leadership is developed, not discovered? Leonard Ravenhill, in The Last Days newsletter, he told about a group of tourists who were visiting a picturesque village, and they walked by an old man sitting beside a fence, and one of the tourists asked that old man in a patronizing way, hey, were any great men born in this village? The old fellow said, nope, only babies. One reason that David grew great was because he chose to keep growing. He wasn't satisfied with where he was in life. He wasn't satisfied with who he was in life. He knew that although he needed to learn to be content in whatsoever state he was, he had a holy dissatisfaction for remaining where he was when he knew that God had somewhere else for him to go. I wonder what steps are you taking to grow great for God? Every great person has taken steps to grow great. I want to share four areas that will help you to grow great, or we could say it this way so that maybe you're not worried about becoming prideful. We could say become everything that God would have you to be. Let me tell you something. we become everything God wants us to be, we will have grown great. The truth is that God already has a destination for each of us to arrive at. It's got a place for us already. I uh, just want to kind of show you real quick. Let me uh, get come on, up, brother, and I'll uh, tell you what. Oh, we don't have where's all of our young people at? They used to all sit around the front. Well, they're scattered all over the place these days, huh? Come on up. You stand right there. No, you don't. get to come up here? Get out of here. <laughs> no, you ain't earned that yet. <sighs> What are we going to do with these young people? (laughs) Tell you what. Brother Mark, you're looking sharp. Come on up here. Come on up. Okay, so here we are. Stop right there. All right, there we go. Now, I want you to notice something. First of all, actually, switch places. (laughs) For the sake of the illustration. Yeah, there you go. Now here we are. Two young men. This is where you are. This is where I am. This is where God wants us. Notice the distance. There's not one person in the room today That God doesn't have a desire for growth in your life. Listen to me now. There is where we are. There is where God sees us and where He wants for us. The question is how are we going to arrive here? How do we get from there to here? Well, that's the question, right? I'm going to give you, I'm just going to share very quickly four little thoughts to get you there. Because, listen, David grew great. He didn't begin great. He ended up great. He grew great. You know what? We have to do the same. He became everything God wanted him to be. We need to become everything God wants us to be. Thank you, gentlemen. You get to switch places again. Good. So let's consider, how do we become everything that God would have us to be then? How do we go from A to Z? How do we get from there to there? Here's just a few suggestions. One, education. Education. Say, so what do you mean? Well, in Second Timothy two fifteen, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, education. Establish a plan of growth in your life. It's not that we plan to fail; we fail to plan. Choose some books that you want to read, conferences that you want to attend, studies you want to do, verses you want to memorize throughout the year. Why in the world, if I'm going to want to become everything God wants me to be, why would I miss the family conference? No matter how old I am, if God still has more growth for me, then maybe I'll hear or learn something there that will help me to arrive where God wants me. Why would I miss... The ladies advance. Why would I miss the men's conference? Why would I not take advantage of every opportunity to grow? But then there are just books. I think of that bookstore that we have out there. And I think of all the effort and the time that Mrs. Cavanaugh puts into knowing the, 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 what's in those books so that they're positive and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're good for us and they enable us to grow and not to be corrupted. And I think about that and I think, man, why, why wouldn't we take advantage of those opportunities? Why wouldn't we purchase a book and read it? Why wouldn't we say, at the end of the year, I want to have read four good books. I may be one on doctrine and one on Christian lifestyle, one on this and one on that and one on building my family stronger. Why wouldn't we pick some books that will help us to grow? maybe there's some studies that you need to do in your Bible some words or some themes or topics that you've been considering or that you've questioned maybe it's time to say I'm putting them on a calendar I'm going to go ahead and start working on them I'm going to finish that and then I'm going to start another one here and I'm going to work through these so that I can grow I need a plan of growth Put them on your calendar. Maybe there's verses you need to memorize. Many of you have taken the step, and it's a good one, to memorize those verses this year in the 50 club. Or what do we call it? We're calling it, what are we calling it? It's actually 48 club. It's 52 weeks, only 48 verses. I tried to make it 52 verses, but the guy said that, well, you guys couldn't take it. I said, well, I disagree, but since you guys are all against me. <laughs> I'm Boy, we all need a little break from time to time to kind of go over all those verses, don't we? There's a lot of them. Think about that, 48 verses in a year. Man, those are steps of growth. So many of you are reading through your Bible in a year. Th- those, are, those are wonderful goals. And you know what? You need a plan of growth. If you do not plan it, it won't get done. Again, we don't plan to fail. We just fail to plan. We need to put some things on our calendar. We need to set some goals for ourselves. We need to have a plan of growth. But not only that, if we want to get from A to Z, if we want to get from there to here, if we want to ultimately become everything that God wants us to be and grow to be great for God, we need experience in our life. Not just education, but experience. You know that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. We walk by faith. The implication is that we're moving in a direction. We're walking by faith. Now listen, the truth is is that most of us, if we're honest, walk by sight. It's based on what we see ahead. That's what determines our decisions. That's how we ultimately come to conclusions is based on what we can observe, what we see with our human eye. But God's saying, listen, there are things that you must believe by faith. You're going to have to take steps of faith. And that means sometimes stepping into a place where you don't see the end yet. You don't see how it's even going to turn out. You just know that it's me directing you and giving you the leadership. You're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight sometimes. It's not going to necessarily be comfortable. It's not always going to be convenient, but it will be worth it all in the end if we'll take those steps, experience. See, fear is often the great deterrent to growth. We're afraid of exposing our weaknesses or letting others down or maybe being made fun of or criticized. So, what do we do? We do nothing. And the only way you'll never fail or be criticized is to do nothing and to be nothing. Try new things. Take risks. Place yourself around others who are where you're going. Then be patient and allow time and experience to mold you. Let God use you in a Sunday school class. Get on that bus even though you're not comfortable doing it. Go ahead and stretch yourself a little bit by just being involved in a choir and singing out and doing something for God, you say, but I'm, I don't think I'd do a good job. Well, why don't you quit trying to be the, the, the God of your future and let God direct you and use leadership to point you in the right direction? Amen. And it's important that you understand you may not be the perfect teacher, but boy, I tell you what, you don't know till you give God a chance. You may not be suited for the bus ministry, but many of you have never been on a bus, nor would you ever even think about it. So many of, some of you are so intimidated about what could or wouldn't happen, you won't even step out by faith and try. Are you kidding me? We're going to grow. We're going to go from A to Z. We're going to go from where we are to where God really wants us, but we're never going to step out by faith. We're never going to do something that we're uncomfortable with. That won't happen. You'll still be back here somewhere or between here and there, but you'll never obtain greatness for God. You'll never become everything God wants you to be till you by faith walk instead of by sight. It's not easy sometimes, but you have to step out by faith because experience is so important. You got to experience the ministry, you got to experience the Christian life, you got to experience walking with the Lord. And in that experience, You'll grow confident, more confident in him than ever. Number three, evaluation. Education, experience, but evaluation. 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Evaluation. If I took a poll in the room and I said, how many of you want to grow great for God? I would imagine that everybody in the room would raise their hand, or at least I'd hope they would. So what's it going to take? Well, first of all, we already noted very quickly that David went on. He's got to keep going. But number two, we got to grow great. and That takes some education. That takes a little experience. That takes some evaluation. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Again, I understand that this is primarily addressing and dealing with Christ in us. I know that, but I'm telling you, in our own Christian lives, there's times we have to evaluate our progress. We have to evaluate where we are at in relationship to Christ. We need to look at where we were and be able to turn back and say, Oh, I used to be there, now I'm here. You will never note that unless you evaluate. There is not a successful business in this world that doesn't take time to evaluate. Have you ever noticed lately, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, everybody wants feedback. It's driving me crazy. You go to a doctor. You get a test. You go to the store. You buy a car. You do whatever, and they're all like, can you rate us? And you're like, No, I just paid you all that money. I don't want to spend more time. It's like, forget it. If I wanted to do that, I would. And then sometimes you're like, yes, I'll do that. You jump on the website or you click on that little button and you go to answer their first question. And it's not one question, it's 10 minutes worth. Have you ever done that? Doesn't that drive you crazy? It drives me nuts. And halfway through, I usually go, whoop, I'm gone. Man, five little questions, one to ten, I'm good. But man, when you get into that ninth and tenth question, it's like, are you kidding me? And then please, write in detail. Exactly. I ain't writing nothing. Have you seen these two left thumbs work on a little little, uh, handheld device? Uh Uh-uh, not happening. Evaluation. We need to constantly evaluate our progress. Again, earlier I I encouraged you to establish a, a growth plan. Identify some books you're going to read. Put it on the calendar, those conferences and things that are being provided that you know will make a difference and help you and encourage you. Man, outline some scriptures that you want to memorize, maybe even above and beyond the 48 that we're doing even. Things that will help you in your life. Not that the others won't, but these might specifically address issues in your life and your relationships. I mean, put them on a calendar. We talked about that growth plan. Well... As you go through the year, constantly review your calendar, evaluate your progress. Have I read the book that I had set out to read? Have I accomplished the goal, that, that, that little benchmark that I had hoped to accomplish? Have I arrived there or have I yet to start? Am I making progress or am I simply treading water? evaluation and finally endurance if you're going to grow great there has to be an element of endurance turn to 2nd 2 timothy 2 3 2 timothy chapter 2 verse 3 first of all again we we noted that david went on number two we said that david grew great and we said listen there's Four things that can help us to do so. Four suggestions, education, experience, evaluation, and finally this endurance. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Self-discipline is required if we ever hope to grow great for God. You're going to have to be disciplined in your life. The temptation is to come up with excuses to justify our lack of discipline. You know, what you, you know what we need to do when we come to that place where we've, we've identified all these excuses and recognize, well, I can't do it because of this, and I can't do it because of that. I'm not going to be able to remain disciplined in this area. Oh, I started trying to learn those verses, but I'm not going to be able to do it now. And I, I started to read that book, and I'm never going to finish it. And here's why, and I just can't do it because of this, and I can't do it because of that. And you know what you do? Write down your excuses and then come up with a way to overcome them. You know, most of the time, all that keeps us from being disciplined is our feelings. It's our feelings. I feel overwhelmed. Anybody ever feel overwhelmed? My hand's up. Hey, how about both? You know what I'm saying? I couldn't read another book if my life depended on it. If you only knew what I was going through right now, you'd realize that I can't memorize Scripture. Well, did you have a growth plan? Well, I did, but it's out the window now. Right? Isn't that how we respond to life usually? It's usually emotion. Now, we'll still have time to take showers and baths and hang out with the wife and the husband and do things with the fam and, you know. But what about our growth plan? What about becoming great for God? don't don't we all want to become great for god oh yes yes we do absolutely pastor when it's not going to happen if we let our emotions rule our life we have got to be disciplined in our life we've got to say this is where i'm at and that's where i'm going i want to be great for god i want to be everything god wants me to be and sometimes that's not convenient nor is it comfortable as we begin to evaluate, we may start looking back and go, Hey, I used to be there. Look, I'm here now. That ought to motivate us. And hopefully, we keep growing a little bit and we can look back, evaluating, and say, Wow, look, I, I'm going so much further, and oh, I'm getting closer. And the truth is, is that none of us really know exactly where that ends. Because He hath begun a good work in us and we will perform it till what? The day of Jesus Christ. The growth plan never stops. We never stop becoming everything he wants us to be. Why? Because we're to be in his image. David became great, if you will, because he, he just went on. He didn't just rest and relax. He didn't just stop where he was. He didn't say, I deserve a break today. By the way, if you're trying to find that at Burger King, good luck, because half the time the doors are closed. <laughs> at least nowadays. Nowadays. I went to McDonald's again, two weeks in a row. Sorry. I'm like, no! I went to my car, I got a hatchet, and I broke the glass and walked in anyway. They said, what are you doing? I said, I need some sweet tea, and I want to put as much ice in the cup as I really want. Actually, I didn't do that. But nonetheless, (laughs) David grew great. Education, experience, evaluation, and endurance. Now finally, last but not least, of course, as we read through our verse, it's easy to see there's a third one. David went on and grew great. Here it is, though. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. The Lord God of hosts was with him. David had the Lord all over him. Isn't that the real challenge in our lives today? Our world is supercharged. Its distractions abound. Busyness consumes us. And it makes it very difficult for us to slow down long enough to hear His voice and experience His touch. To complicate matters even more, there's that world's view of greatness. And then there's God's. And that that distinction, that difference sometimes can be kind of hard to figure out. But let me just say that greatness in the world is most often measured by simply money, possessions, position, power, notoriety, and authority. You know, God's not really that awfully impressed with such things. It doesn't really impress God that much. But he is impressed with humility, honesty, and honor. He delights in a pure mind, a pure heart, a pure motive, pure ministry. In Proverbs 21, 21, the Bible says, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. In Proverbs 22, 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's not what the world teaches. David was great in person and prestige. Man, he was well known. He was a somebody in the world But more important than that, he was somebody to God. He was great in God's sight. Turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts 13, 22. There in this passage, the Bible simply is going to refer back to David. And it says, and when he had removed him, it's obvious he's talking about Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Don't miss this. A man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Do you know that while Jesus was on earth, he shares another important aspect to greatness. Turn over there to Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 25 through 28. David was a man after God's own heart. Wow. Wow. Really, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to hear the Lord say that about you? And she is a woman after my own heart. She, he is a man after my own heart. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love that? I mean, this isn't somebody else saying that. It's the Lord giving testimony to David's character. Look at Matthew twenty. Jesus is on earth now, and he's going to share a very important aspect of greatness. Matthew twenty, verse twenty-five. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I'll tell you what, you want to be great, Jesus says? Lay your life down for others. You say, well, that doesn't sound very glamorous. That's why the world doesn't do that. The world says, you lay your life down for me. I'm in charge, Buster. You lay down and I'll walk across your back. That's how it works. My feet aren't going to get muddy, buddy. You like that, muddy buddy? (laughs) Jesus says, you know what? We don't do things the way the world does. My economy runs a little bit different. And I'll tell you what, you want to, as he puts it here, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. We think about somebody ministering to us. We think about somebody that's doing on our behalf. And in this case, he says, you really want to be chief among you? You really want to be elevated? Well, let him be your servant. He's not talking about, okay, you want to be important to me? You serve me. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying the biggest servants are the ones you ought to elevate. That's not how it works, is it? In most corporations, most businesses, and most churches, even, we elevate people who can benefit us. Because in the end, it's about me, right? Somebody walks in the door of the church and they look like they got some money and they're both, he's handsome and she's beautiful and their kids are adorable. Oh, I want to get to know them. Maybe they got a nice house. They'll invite us over to the house. I want to be friends with them because then I might get in on some things. Maybe they'll have a car they're going to get rid of and I can buy it real cheap. You think that's a joke? You and I both know that's how it works most of the time in churches. Somebody drags on in the back of the door and ultimately becomes super faithful. And we're like, "No, well, they can't do nothing for me and my family. I feel they're weird. They're out of here. I want to go my way. They can go their way. Oh, hi, how are you? So glad to meet you and your wife. You guys are just, oh, where are you coming from?
0: <laughs>
1: That's how it usually is, right? Who are we kidding? Let's quit lying to ourselves. Let's just be honest. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. That wasn't David. When it's all said and done, who's coming to David? Who's finding hope in David? Man, it isn't the people that have money, and David's not attracting those people at all. It's the people that are in debt. It's the ones that are distressed. It's the ones that are in a mess in their life, and they're all coming to David, and David's like, hey, listen, you stay close. We'll do this together. Because he had God all over him. He had the heart of God, the mind of God in that sense. He says, he's a a man after my own heart. Somebody that saw the brokenness in people and said, I want to be there to mend them. David became servant of all. Let me tell you, if we're going to become great, we need to become a servant. That's what Jesus is talking about. But the goal, again, is to have the Lord Jesus all over us, to have God all over us, to have the hand of God and the power of God on our life. See, what we can never forget about growing great is that real greatness is bestowed upon us by God himself. 2 Samuel 7, 9 says... And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, God talking to David, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. God said, I did that for you, David. The next time, David, you start to think that you were all man, and that it was all because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps because somehow you got educated, somehow you became a great warrior, that you did it on your own, that somehow you were able to conquer the enemy by your own sheer wisdom and insight and understanding. You remember that I made you great. I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name. Absolutely. David went on. No doubt, David grew great. But he didn't do it on his own. God did it in his life. Nothing replaced the hand of God or the favor of God in his life. Nothing. God alone is responsible for the believer's greatness. Every effort we employ toward greatness is in vain except God bless it and prosper it. There is no substitute for God's presence in your life. No seminar, workshop, book, blog, or conference can take the place of God's providential and powerful hand. It's not going to happen. We need to keep going systematically take steps to grow. But most important of all, we need to abide in Christ and trust Him to exalt us in due season. Turn if you would to John fifteen five. In John 15, 5, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Here it is now. For without me, ye can do nothing. For without me, ye can do nothing. But without me, ye can do nothing. Let me see for just a moment. I think there's something I can do without God. Hmm. Let's see here. Let me, uh, let's just see here. Oh. Uh, there we go. I've been doing that my whole life. I don't need God to tie my shoes. I can do that without God. Really? You know there are folks probably in the room right now that if you sat where I'm sitting and you bend over like that, you'd get so dizzy you'd roll right off this platform? Do you realize there's not one thing you can do or I can do without God? And we can continue to convince ourselves of the fact that we can. I mean, we're talented, we have abilities, and oh, they're God-given, but there comes a point I don't have to pray about certain things like that. I don't have to invite Christ into my life. I mean, He takes care of me, and I do what I can for Him, and I can do some things, and I don't have to ever think about God being involved in it. Mm, that's dangerously close to trying to do it without Him, then. Very dangerous. He says, for without me ye can do Nothing. I've been reading for years. Wait a second. What if you had a stroke tonight? Do you know how many people have to relearn how to read? Oh, you can do that without God, can you? Let God take away the ability. I'm just saying, look at us. If we're not careful, like the world... We become so independent that we forget we can do nothing without him. David went on. He grew great and he had God all over him. If you ask me, that sounds like a tremendous recipe to greatness. Will you go on? Where will you be in six months? Where will you be in a year? It's amazing, isn't it? One of the things that ruins more people than anything is to hit it big at the lottery. You know, they hit it big, right? They get all this money, and next thing you know, they stop doing what they've been doing. And all their families show up finally. Friends and everybody else in the world. Hey, how you doing? I was wondering, you know, I've just been hurting a little bit. I was wondering if you could loan me some money. Before it's over with, man, I mean to tell you, their lives are ruined. Many of them become drunkards or drug addicts, and they're all messed up in their lives. Why? What's going on? They didn't go on. you got to go on. Will you go on? Hey, will you choose to grow great by investing in yourself and others? Will you strive to have the hand of God on your life by living a life of purity and humility? Those are all questions that we have to answer. But I promise you that we are all here and God wants us to be here. He has something for us. He wants us to grow great on his behalf. He sees us not where we are, but where we can be. I wonder how cooperative we'll be with him. Let's just go on. Let's go on. Just keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Choose to grow great. Get a a growth plan. And then don't settle for anything less than the hand of God on your life. You aren't going to get that, neither am I, without purity and humility. let's listen i'm just going to say it and we're going to close but if you and i think we can look at the things that are on that internet and it's not going to ultimately affect our purity we can just look at anything we want to look at we can just dig into whatever we want to dig into and we're not being very 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 careful and very just choosy and I'm telling you what, purity is going to go out the window. And let me tell you, God's hand is going to come off if it's, on, if it's on there at all. And more than anything else in this world, we need his hand on our shoulder. God help us. Father, we love you.